0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening.
1: We're, we're focusing a lot on the Spirit, and uh, of course, no one, no one would think, but just to clarify, we, we are not trying to elevate the Spirit's work above that of the Father and Son, but to focus in particular on the Spirit, because the Spirit sometimes is pushed aside. Here's a biblical idea that you might want to hold on to. That whatever the father does, whatever the son does, the scriptures regularly show us that the spirit is the one that applies that work to our lives. And so this session, these five weeks, have been strong on how the spirit applies The strength of God, the salvation in Christ, the hope that we have to our lives. Hey, great to see you. Thank you for joining us on uh, this Labor Day weekend for the final session on our Moving Forward series. Uh, this, This little subtitle here will make even more sense after tonight. In fact, when the series began, we put this subtitle in to put an exclamation point on uh, session number five. It could have been a capital S, could have been a small s, because his spirit affects our spirit, but it is the spirit to overcome the future. That's what we're looking at. So what kind of future is it? So this question then for session five, are the best days behind us, or is the best yet to come? Because we are in the uh, era of the clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of humanity inspired by self-interest, because we find ourselves in the age of Adam and the age of Christ, the best answer to this is... Both. It's interesting uh, to, to think about uh, this question again through what, what we see broadly in our culture. One, one of the things that I think makes this series so interesting to me, and so our use of books, music, and tonight movies, is that what we're talking about are basic human questions, right? I mean, is this as good as it gets? Will we get any further? It's interesting that when you look at movies of the future, they tend to, and maybe because we prefer Doomsday to entertain us, that's an interesting one, we'd rather pay our money to see the world blown up, destroyed, than, right? So let me give you a couple uh, movie examples, and it's interesting the different issues they take on that these filmmakers have imagined might take us down. So that the so that the world really is getting worse. How about this one? Nuclear Holocaust. The apes take over. How about this one? A cure for cancer, a technology runs amok, becomes airborne, destroys most of the life life on the planet, of course, except Will Smith. And Will Smith's dog, and as he later discovers, a few others. How about this one? Pollution destroys the planet. It's up to the last robot, and he looks like, she looks like, uh, the, the robot, robot is up to this, uh, to, to organize the uh, the cleansing of the Earth. Wall How about this one? The evil Thanos wants to solve one of the world's problems as Thanos sees it overpopulation. So he acquires the stones, That with a snap of his finger, half of the world's population disintegrates, including many of the people you see on the screen. But there's a follow up, of course. And in this one, looking up into heaven, Robert Downey Jr., Stark, gives up his life to restore life to that part of the world that had been destroyed. (laughs) Familiar theme, right? (laughs) All right. So, uh, great. Doomsday. Something awful is going to happen. The whole planet will get decimated. Right. What about biblically? Now, it's interesting that there is more than one biblical view about what the future looks like. Uh, Let me give you what I think is probably the one that is most common, and I am holding, wow, this is uh, this is the Sharpie of all Sharpies, by the way. I was just handed this. This is not just your average Sharpie. Uh, not to be handled by, uh, by rookies. This is professionals only, professional only. A Sharpie Magnum. If you're ever invited to a Sharpie fight, okay, this is a serious, serious Sharpie. Okay, how about this one? Biblical views of the future. Uh, this one. This is the direction of the world, right? And it only gets better when Jesus comes. The redemption, the loop upward, happens here. In other words, uh, extreme pessimism, yes, extreme pessimism. And what often goes with this view of the future, that it's just getting worse, is that uh, we we try to imagine those people that we can blame for this. And so whether it's an antichrist or it's a group of global scammers, we, we use this pronoun, they. They have put something in the coffee. They have put something in the vaccines. They are planning to do this. They are doing that. And so we create all of these horrific scenarios that there really is a group like the Avengers or Thanos and his, right? There's a they that's actually controlling it, and we are helpless. And so the key in this case is simply that we become survivors. Uh, Well, is there something else? I mean, is this the mission of the church? Hunker down? Now, that's one view that uses biblical passages to support it. Um, I think there's some truth to that, but that's not where I buy in. Here's another one. This one's interesting. Exactly opposite. This is the direction the world is going in, and Jesus appears at the end of it, at the end of it, not not at at this end of it, to make it better, but he appears when it has gotten better, and so now it is the role of the church to bring sanctification, to bring renewal to the planet, the church. Whoa. Okay, now this is obviously very optimistic. Wow. Wow. And think of the pressure that is now on the church. Okay, no more scandals. Yes, if you ever heard of a church scandal, no more scandals as of now, right? Like we got got to take it this way and hopefully all the churches work together and hopefully no self-interest will get into any of these churches and hopefully as the church gathers around the planet, we'll all agree on the ways forward. We'll all know what political parties... Right. This is extremely optimistic and now the philosophy is, hey... Here's the one that I think makes the most biblical sense. Yeah, it's getting better. In some ways, Exodus has begun. Yes, it's getting worse. In some ways, we are going further into chaos. Yes, both at the same time. Say, Dr. Bat. What words are you going to put with that one? Uh, well, I mean, how are we going to do this? Uh, right. Right. We need a fresh vision for this one. The next couple of moments, I want to show you five, five passages and three scenes for the book of Revelation. I want you to see something. That you might not see, if you just looked around, but you might see, if the Spirit of God created that image, brought it home to your heart. We uh, we we've, we've been talking about exile and Exodus now, and tonight uh, we we are trying to wrap this up by looking at how both of these things are working together. So let me bring us back to the exilic moment and take you to some of the introductory verses of the book of Revelation. And let me read this to you. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus is on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Not enough detail to know exactly who banished him and exactly what he had done that had created so much offense, but it seems as if the Roman authorities banished John, where he could no longer be a nuisance, to an island. John is in exile on the island. But from his exilic spot, some have suggested a cave. In fact, the monastery has been built on Patmos, and there is a cave that they've actually identified as John's cave, <laughs> but uh, that's that's a fairly likely scenario, and and perhaps John's vision of a brand new world is more powerful because it's from a cave. Uh, if, if you were if you were here uh, last week and heard Pastor Jonathan's excellent sermon again on the sound of exile. You'll, you'll, you'll remember he, he talks about like when he takes a vacation, he likes to, uh, family vacation, he likes to do it on the cheap. Uh, if Pastor Jonathan is listening to this, he's probably thinking that would be a great family vacation. How much would a cave cost? Well, this is not vacationing on Patmos. We don't know if John ever got off Patmos. Maybe this is the last great light that he saw these visions They say that uh, you can't really appreciate the brightness of the stars unless you get away from the blinding lights of the city. John's in the darkness in a cave. And he said it was the Lord's Day as this is. We're celebrating the Lord's Day in this session. This is our service together. John was in the spirit, as we are in the spirit, the same spirit, the same day. May we catch a vision tonight for how we are to respond to a world that is both getting better and getting worse. And John said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and so the revelations that John sees, or the visions uh, begin. Let me show you the island. Now, this is taken from the uninhabited side, and, uh, you know, if you could go over here, you'd see it's become a tourist place, and basically, as you can imagine, the economy is tourism. (laughs) But please notice uh, that John's exile is because of, he's surrounded by the sea, the Aegean Sea. He's surrounded by water. The water has imprisoned him, and so our theme again of exile and water as a barrier and water as chaos. Uh, m- many of you would know that, uh, as before many of the major visions or scenes of the book of Revelation unfold, John uh, is to uh, record seven messages to seven churches sometimes these messages are under, are misunderstood as only applying to those seven churches. Well, they apply to every church, and they apply to us. In fact, uh, it's best to see these seven particular messages, and I'm looking around our church right now. Want, I'm looking at six sections. Let's make the seventh up here. That uh, the first couple chapters with the seven letters, that's, that's not the part that, only those churches are to hear. This is an introduction to all the visions. In other words, these particular messages reveal the whole. Okay. Now, let me, let me quote to you uh, just a snippet from the first letter. It's this one. And this will sound familiar to you because it gets repeated in each letter. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Please notice this that the Spirit is speaking to us so that we be the ones who overcome the future and regain what was lost in the garden, regain paradise. Okay, three visions. First of all, a vision of Jesus. Let me read to you a little bit of this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Picture the scene, throne room scene. The scrolls represent the final, the final chapters, the final events of world history. And all of a sudden, there is a moment where uh, everything is frozen because someone who is worthy needs to initiate the final actions, in other words, symbolized by opening the scrolls. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll, or even look inside it, I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed." he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. Pause here for a moment with me. Repeatedly, in the series of visions, John is told what he is going to see and then he turns and sees it. This vision of Jesus at the beginning of chapter 5 is stunning. John is observing this throne room scene and he's waiting for the savior to step forward no one's stepping forward and he begins to weep and then he hears hey the lion ah much like as in the witch and the wardrobe and one of you mentioned that one on day one that that would be a good book to reference hey thanks That was really cool the uh the lion is is a symbol of messiah and what john is hearing is that the lion, the Messiah, will handle this. But notice this stunning moment. John turns to see the lion in all of the might of the lion, and what does John see but a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. It's stunning because John turns to see a conqueror And sees the lamb that's been slain. I, I think this image is meant to be dual. In other words, this is the lion, but this is also the lamb. In other words, the lion doesn't become the lamb. The conquering Messiah is also the lamb that was slain in this stunning vision, to one who is in exile, maybe like you. You see that your Savior bears on his body still the marks of exile over which he has triumphed. Our champion is one who was exiled, slain, and now bears the marks of exile in a moment of triumph. John turns to see a conqueror and he sees one who's been slain. Don't don't be too hasty to judge the spirituality of somebody based on how much it looks like they're triumphing. First of all, we see a vision of Jesus who takes the takes the exile, embodies it in himself, and triumphs over it. A vision of Jesus. Is it getting better or worse? Best days ahead or behind us? This vision of Jesus tells us that no matter how chaotic, one day it will be overcome, and he is embodying it. Sorry, I know I've, I've said that three different ways, three different times, but it's a stunning image. Can you see it? Now a vision of us. Okay, now folks, I'm taking you to chapter 11, and some of you know chapter 11. And for some of you, uh, going back to the charts, no, I won't go back to the charts. I'm happy with this camera right here. Let's stay here. In, in in some eschatological interpretations of Revelation, which I do not agree with, chapter 11 is about uh, some future individuals and has little to nothing to do with us, to which I say that's ridiculous. If you want to know where we fit into the story of Revelation, if you ask me, our role. What do we do in a world that's getting... Our role is embodied in the witnesses' what's our vision for what we should do in a world that's both getting better and worse we overcome we engage by being witnesses and these two are emblematic represent what I'm to do Jeff Muir's to do thanks again Jen for uh, setting all this up for all the great stuff you do. Let's come to chapter 11. And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them, must die. Let's hold it here for a moment. I think this represents us. You want to know my confidence for the future? I believe the protection of God is on me as I am doing what God called me to do. And I am going to, for the rest of my days, as the Lord enables me, to never lose confidence that I am still making a difference that I'm doing something that's worth do, worthwhile to do because there is a protection over my life hey we like we like to we like to blame people things don't work out hey but they i applied but they boy I'd be a great christian but they you know my my family not christian you know they For the days that God appointed these witnesses, nothing could touch them. I think this is me and this is you. God gives us what we need to do, particularly through His Spirit, to be witnesses or those that testify a brand new day now you just heard some really good announcements about the love army I am thrilled to be in a church that takes community involvement as seriously as this church does and I want you to notice something here and of course there's a pattern to it as Jesus sent out the twelve and Jesus sent out the seventy or seventy two he did by two. No one witnessed or testified alone. Uh, there's a truth to this because there's a pattern. We too quickly think of our witness as something that we engage in personally. What well, we do, but folks, this this church that you're a part of. We are witnesses together. We make an impression in this community. When we are a love army, we are demonstrating what the future looks like and helping the the part of the world that we can influence to start looking more like it. We are witnesses of the glorious future right here and now. What we do as a church together is a major part of our witness. And of course, there's a personal aspect to it as well. Let's come to it in a moment. Let's keep reading. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. In other words, disgrace them by having them rot in the streets. Say, Dr. Vant, uh, I preferred back a slide or two, but you see the the witnesses are still witnesses in exile, and like Jesus who is both the lamb and the lion, nothing can touch these witnesses until the time of their witness is complete. Let's hold on for this for a moment. So what what about personal witness? I am a witness, you are a witness to the kingdom of God. You are a witness about the future. As your life has changed, we've, we've talked about heaven being a community of the transformed. The Spirit's already doing that in us now. We are witnesses to a better future as the Spirit changes us and people sees it. It's not always what we say. Talk is cheap. Yeah, but eventually you have to talk, but... Uh, I've had more than one person through the years say to to me, you know, when I talk to somebody about Jesus, I tell them, hey, don't look at me, look at Jesus, to which I always want to say, and maybe probably said at least one time, what are are you talking about? (laughs) Like, where exactly, where do you want them to look? If they can't see Jesus in you, why would they think it's real? Why would they think the power of God is real? Our changed lives in our families, in our schools, amongst fellow Zoomers, is a testimony to the power of God in the future. We, we witness with our changed lives. Healing is a testimony of the future. Every time a healing occurs, it is another testimony that there is a force stronger than the chaos of sickness, deterioration, and death. Every time God heals, it's a preview of the future. Uh, there was a very good uh, sermon that Pastor Jessica preached some months ago now on healing. You may want to go back and look at it. We, we misunderstand healing if we simply reduce it to something God wants to do for us because he loves us. Absolutely, he loves us. Thank you, Lord, for every time that you heal us mentally, physically, emotionally. But we're missing the bigger picture. Healing is only ever partial. None of us yet have been healed of death. Healing is always partial because it's just a preview. Of what the future looks like, what we will look like someday, where the curse is reversed. Every time there's a healing, it is a testimony about what the future looks like. Hey, uh, Pastor Jonathan uh, did, a, did a nice job of talking about his family vacations. Uh, as you can tell, coming back to it again, I can't get it out of my mind because our family vacations were so different. We, we, we would stay in the best hotels we could afford because I like Pastor Jonathan, I love my family. And so we, we have these fond memories of these great trips and particularly the road trips late at night. And there was a song that we loved to play, Billy Joel's River of Dreams. And it's been on my mind for weeks now because that song brings so many images uh, together. And I want to read some lyrics in just a moment, but let me complete this text. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. (laughs) Fresh wind of the Spirit. And they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. That's enough. Come on up. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. This, this, this idea of salvation and being caught up is very much New Testament imagery. You you think of the images that we've already used with the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. Yes, you remember? Right? The, The Spirit is there, provides a way out through the chaos and we walk through the water. The image that you see in the New Testament is not that the water disappears so much, but that we are lifted up out of it. And I don't know who the brilliant videographer was for Billy Joel when they did a video of the song that we're going to look at. But he incorporates, well, well, you'll see it in just a moment. Let's take a look at some of these lyrics. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep from the mountains of faith to the river so deep. I must be looking for something, something sacred I lost. But the river is wide and it's too hard to cross. Even though I know the river is wide, I walk down every evening and I stand on the shore. I try to cross to the opposite side so I can finally find out what I've been looking for. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep through the valley of fear to a river so deep. I've been searching for something taken out of my soul, something I'd never lose, something somebody stole. I don't know why I go walking it now, Night, But now I'm tired and I don't want to walk anymore. I hope that it doesn't take the rest of my life until I find out what it is that I've been looking for. And then, um, this. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep through the jungle of doubt to a river so deep. I know I'm searching for something, something so undefined that it can only be seen by the eyes of the blind in the middle of the night. I'm not sure about a life after, uh, you, you should just see this part.
0: Not sure about a life after this, God knows I've never been a spiritual man. Baptized by fire I wade into the river that is running through the, In the, the night, in the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep. In the sleep through the desert, the, truth, the desert of the truth, to the rivers of the, south the, east, east, south the river, south We all end in the, ocean, in the ocean. We all start in the streams. We're, the streams. We're all carried along, We're along, along by the river of dreams. In the middle of the night, in the middle of I go walking in the, in the middle of the in the middle of I go walking in the in the middle of in the in the middle of
1: Baptized into the water. You go down into the chaos. You're lowered into the depths. Death. And then you're lifted up out of the water. Exodus. The imagery here is of resurrection. Dead in the water. Resurrected changed in that moment to be part of the community of the transformed. One more scene from heaven. This is what heaven looks like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away You've uh, you've downloaded two photos during this series. Where the spirit is, chaos recedes. Where the spirit is, he makes a way out, land appears. John, on an island, surrounded by water, trapped, can't go anywhere even if he wants to, sees a day when there's no longer any chaos. There's no longer any sea. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray picks up many of the themes that we have dealt with over these five weeks about kingdom, about kingdom coming, about the Lord giving us what we need, about the Lord protecting us while we do. I'm going to invite you to read it with me as we As we close. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. We're using the King James here. You want to say it with me? Pray it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
0: Thank you.